you got one guy with a bullhorn and an AR-15 out, outside the courthouse. And he's got like 70 media people surrounding him. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. We're monitoring the, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Um, Fox News is reporting that the jury is to return to the courtroom soon. But we don't know when soon is. Um, also, they asked for some clarification, which some people say means that they've got a couple of jurors back there that are just being idiots. And so they get clarification from the judge in order to be like, see, idiots. <laughs> so there's that. We'll monitor that and bring you the verdict if it comes in, if and when it comes in. Uh, also, Coffee and tea associated with lower risk of stroke and dementia, according to a new study. I'm going to live forever. Um, the Hill, uh, that's a story at the Hill. And uh, we're talking about, though, the uh, Eli Lake piece at Bloomberg.com. Whether the FBI manipulated or was manipulated by the Democratic Party, or were they willing participants? Or was it collusion? All right. This is, you know, Eli Lake says uh, in his piece that the investigation launched by John Durham, uh, who was the U.S. attorney, was appointed by the former Attorney General Bill Barr, William Barr, um, that the investigation uh, has now resulted in two indictments, the last two, I should say, that suggest the FBI was not a villain but a victim. The FBI was conned by Democratic operatives to pursue bogus investigations into the Trump campaign. And uh, by the way, I'm not buying this argument. I'm not buying the argument that the FBI was conned. And one of the main reasons why is that Jim Comey never mentioned Igor Denchenko. He never talked about this guy ever until after Denchenko got charged. Nobody knew anything about this guy. Nobody knew about the Brookings Institution guy. Nobody knew anything about these players until John Durham's indictments. Uh, but, to be fair, Eli Lake doesn't seem to be buying it either. Denchenko's charged with hiding his relationship to a prominent Democrat in interviews with the FBI about the dossier. The prominent Democrat is described as Public Relations Executive 1, he was a state chairman for Bill Clinton's 92 and 96 presidential campaigns. And in 2016, he actively campaigned and participated in calls and events as a volunteer on behalf of Hillary Clinton. The PR executive uh, is now known to be Charles Dolan Jr., a senior strategist at K-Global. According to the indictment, Dolan was likely the source of several items in the dossier. This undermines one of the central claims in the initial coverage of the dossier, that it was a well-sourced Kremlin intel document from a respected professional. Turns out not much of it was, uh, sorry, turns out that much of it was rumor conveyed in part by a Democratic partisan. Now, FBI agents were able to discern that Steele's information was worthless without the benefit of knowing Denchenko's relationship to Dolan. They reached this conclusion over the course of four different interviews with Danchenko in 2017, but much of the media treated Steele's allegations as a credible part of an epic FBI investigation until they appointed the special counsel, Robert Mueller. 
And then Robert Mueller did his investigation. And then he had, and then when he found that there had been no conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia to influence the 2016 election. In this respect, the real victim of these Democratic Party deceptions was not the FBI, it was the American public. That's why Durham's investigation, now in its third year, remains not only relevant but vital. Next, Andrew McCarthy at the New York Post. Headline, arrest illustrates how the Steele dossier was a political dirty trick orchestrated by Hillary Clinton. Durham, it's now clear, says McCarthy, has his sights set on the Clinton campaign. The dossier was generated by the Clinton campaign. Its principal author was former British spy uh, Christopher Steele. His main source was Danchenko, this Russian native based in the United States who worked at the Brookings Institution, a Washington think tank whose former president, Strobe Talbot, is a college friend of Bill Clinton's who worked in the Clinton State Department. At Brookings, Denchenko worked with, wait for it, Fiona Hill. Later, she became a member of Trump's National Security Council, and she's the one, remember, with the British accent, who became a key witness in the first Trump impeachment trial over the unrelated Ukraine controversy. It was through Fiona Hill that Denchenko became acquainted with Christopher Steele, who ran a London-based intel firm after he left MI6, the British spy service, which I totally believe he left. Durham's indictment alleges that Denchenko lied about two major points. First, he made up the claim that the president of the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce told him that Trump was involved in a conspiracy of cooperation with with Vladimir Putin. That was the first big lie. Okay, That was the lie Danchenko of the Brookings Institution told the FBI, that it came from the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce president. That guy has denied it, by the way, from the very beginning, saying he never said any such thing. Number two, second lie, Danchenko's alleged to have concealed that one of his sources for the information... He provided to Christopher Steele was a longtime Democratic Party operative who was close to the Clintons. This was Dolan, Chuck Dolan. Also, the Obama Justice Department brought the FBI's sworn claims to the secret FISA court in October of 2016. Though the FBI is supposed to verify its allegations before going to court, it apparently did not interview Danchenko, who was the main source for the dossier, until, what, three, four months later, January 2017, by which time... It was already obtaining its second spy warrant from the FISA court. Its second 90-day warrant. Durham's charging instruments suggest that the Clinton campaign used its agents to peddle the Trump-Russia rumors to the government and the media and then used the fact that Trump was being investigated as part of its campaign messaging. This is why I call it laundering. So what happens is, right, you take the intel... From a Democrat operative, you wash it through the intel agencies. Intel agencies then, you know, launch an investigation. You leak that back to the media. The media then goes off and gets, quote, confirmation from those same Democrat sources or from people inside the intel community that knows where the info came from. But now you've got this sort of seal of credibility stamped onto the story because the media is reporting it. And they have independent sources. But are they really independent sources? 
This is why the Jim Comey example of him going to brief Trump on the existence of the P tape. That's why this is so important. It's such a clear and easy example of how the laundering op works. Is that you get the information fed to you. You know it's bunk, but you go and brief the president, which makes it a newsworthy event. You then leak the fact that you had the briefing to the media and media then gets to report on the contents of the briefing. Because the media can't go and say, hey, we have this rumor about this um, uh, this Steele dossier. It's complete garbage, but we're going to go ahead and report it as if it's true, with the caveat that we don't know it's true, but we're going to keep reporting on it as if it is true. People would look at that and say, well, this is just wild rumor. You don't have anything confirmed. Why are you reporting this? But if Jim Comey told the president about it, well, that means obviously that this is something that's so important that he had to brief the president in a defensive briefing so the president would know that this is out there. So obviously they think there's some truth to it. And of course, we didn't find out that it was like a defensive briefing until way, way, way later. The initial reports were simply that the president got briefed on the existence of the dossier. And then that allowed BuzzFeed to publish the dossier. That's a law. That's a it's a laundering operation. This is not new to our intelligence agencies. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Monica with a great point on Twitter. Is it possible that the guy walking around outside the courthouse with the... Oh, kitted up with the AR-15? Is it possible that he's a Lincoln Project LARPer? That's a very... That, why not? Right? The Lincoln Project? You know, fresh from, uh, you know, sexually harassing young men, they are... No, uh, I'm... Well, not kidding. But, um, no, they seriously, like, what is that? Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm glad to hear it's not just my apartment when I'm broadcasting where I can hear the leaf blowers. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear it here, too. That's good to know. Um, so the uh, Lincoln Project is the, it's Rick Wilson's group, uh, Steve Schmidt, Formerly, and uh, was it one of the advisors, the uh, Tom Nichols, but one of their one of the founding members, and he got in all the trouble because he was like sexually harassing young men and all this. Anyway, uh, but the Lincoln Project, they were the ones that hired some Democrats to go stand uh, with the tiki torches at the bus for Glenn Youngkin the day before the Virginia election. Yeah. So, uh, oh, Democrats are in town. Hang on a second. I just saw this pop. Uh, it's a beautiful day in Charlotte to celebrate President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law and to call out Pat McCrory's opposition to the historic job-making legislation that Democratic Chair Jane Whitley, Councilman Malcolm Graham, and an IBEW... Okay, so they're... Oh, wow. They got three... Oh, that's just sad. This is your... Wait, this is your promotion? Ellie, Doherty, what are you doing? Girl, you didn't... Oh, man. You got three people there. That's it. And they're like, yay, infrastructure. There's three people there. Malcolm Graham. Uh, who else? Union member and the Mecklenburg County Chair, Jane Whitley. Have you seen the video for the uh, for the Pass the Infrastructure Bill? Have you seen this thing? All right. Uh, yeah, I got time. Let's play it. Let's do it. This is a cartoon reminiscent of the I'm just a bill, you know, that schoolhouse rock uh, uh, 
what was it, animation from like 40 years ago when I was a kid, you know, how a bill becomes a law. And so they made a video that is reminiscent of this. I'm not kidding. It's awful. It's terrible. As Nick Gillespie from Reason.com says, we are officially now living in a South Park episode. I mean, minus the satire and the ability to switch the channel. We got infrastructure passed in the house. Time for build back better. That's what I'm about. So, Mr. President, Madam Speaker, House Democrats, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm a bill with critical and historic investments in child care, health care, climate care, immigration, and more. Mm, and it's all paid for. So, come on, <laughs> let's do this. You better pass me. You better pass me. Tell Congress, pass, build back better. <laughs> this is so terrible. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it doesn't even rhyme. This song, like, you couldn't even get the sign or the song to rhyme. I mean, what kind of a world is this? What kind of world are we leaving to the children? <laughs> All right. I, uh, I mentioned... The disinformation, uh, information laundering uh, strategy that the Steele dossier, to me, is pretty obvious, uh, the, the, the tactics employed. There is a, uh, a website called Strategic Culture, and there was a piece here, uh, Peter Van Buren. And uh, this was, I don't even know how old this is. It's a couple of weeks, though. But this is what I do. I, I, I collect information. I gather info and I create stacks about a topic and then I just put them all together. So this headline is CIA disinformation operations come home to the U.S. And it's a very lengthy piece. I'm just going to give you a couple of the highlights here as they pertain, I believe, to what we're witnessing and what we have witnessed, particularly with the Steele dossier. So the CIA has been running information ops to influence foreign elections since the end of World War II. Richard Bissell, who ran the agency's operations during the Cold War, wrote of, quote, exercising control over a newspaper or broadcasting station or of securing the desired outcome in an election. Um, the goals to control information as a tool of influence. Sometimes the control is very direct, simply, you know, uh, paying a reporter to run a story. Um, or, he says, as was done in Iraq, simply operating the outlet yourself. In Iraq, it was known as the Indigenous Media Project, which is kind of Orwellian. The problem is that direct action like that is easily exposed. And then once you expose it as direct action, then the outlet has no credibility. A more effective strategy is to become a source for legitimate media, such that your disinformation inherits their credibility. The most effective is an operation that's so complex, one CIA plant is the initial information source, while a second CIA plant acts to seemingly independently confirm the original source's information. I've talked about this over the years, that one of the rules that I followed as a reporter was if you get somebody named on the record, then that's source enough, Right. I can bring on, you know, the, I don't know, the police chief says X, Y, Z, right? And it's this person saying this thing. I don't need any other confirmation because they are saying it. Now, if I wanted 
to find out that the police chief said something behind closed doors, I would have to get independent confirmation from two unnamed sources saying the same thing. They'd have to be independent of each other, but I'd have to get it from two different people. And I'd have to have a pretty good understanding that they did not coordinate their uh, uh, their messaging to me, right? Like they were not getting their stories aligned. So if you can get two independent sources to corroborate the same information, then that's as good as a named source. At that point, you can push information to the mainstream media, who then, quote, independently confirm it, sometimes unknowingly, through the secondary agent. You basically can rewrite tomorrow's headlines. I suspect that's what happened. I suspect that that's what was occurring with the Steele dossier. What do I know, though? I'm just a radio host. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, well, I mean, anytime I hear Tom Petty, got to tell you about Hancock's Bikes for Kids. WBT, the Carolina Panthers, our friends at WSOC-TV. We are all gathering up the bicycles once again this year to give out to local kids for Christmas. So uh, grab a uh, bike. Come on down to Bank of America Stadium between the hours of 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Tuesday, December 7th, and drop it off and uh, you know help make the holidays great for a kid in the local area. Uh, John started doing this uh, almost three decades ago. We're going to keep doing it. So, uh, and by the way, if you're thinking about doing this, I know December 7th is a couple weeks away, but supply chain, blah, 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 get the bikes now. So if you see one, grab one, bring it on down, go to WBT.com for details. And, uh, thank you for the donation. All right. This fellow has been waiting for a while. I am hesitant to do it, but we're going to see how it goes. Hello, Dennis. Welcome to the program. <laughs> I think I was waiting before him, actually. What's that? You were what? Waiting. You were waiting him. before who? Yeah. Before this guy that's on right now. You're on right now. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You need to turn your radio off, Dennis. And maybe, like, start your day drinking later. Good God, Amari. Turn your radio off, Dennis. Oh, there I am. I heard that. But now your is your radio off? No, it doesn't sound like it. I'm, I'm on. Oh, I'm you're on. Feed. Yeah, you're on the radio. So how how much have you been drinking? Nothing. I'm Nothing. Just, I'm waiting to talk to Pete. Yeah, you you're talking to Pete. Yeah. See, so what what I'm doing right now, Dennis, and I'm sorry to have to kind of use you as the the guinea pig, Dennis, but I'm. Nice. All right. We're just running through some mechanics. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the uh, we had our system down for the dumping of uh, problematic phone callers. I mean, the other day we had the guy who called in and, uh, you know, he, he hung up. I called him a coward, and then he called back, said it totally wasn't him hanging up, and then he called me a bad word, and so we had to dump out. Um, and we did. We dumped out successfully. We never dumped that. Right. There we go. So, yeah. So I wanted to, but that was the first time it's been, look, I haven't been, you know, in the studio on the air here at WBT for like a decade. And so I was a little rusty, but luckily it's the same board, the phone board that I worked at with in Asheville. So 
I knew where the delay dump button was, so I just hit it. Ryan, the producer, was all over it. He dumped out, too. So we didn't jeopardize our FCC license when that guy called me the bad word. But I just, you know, you got to practice. Because uh, if you don't practice, then you may not be ready when the time comes. It's why you do the drills. So I just wanted to bring on Dennis that we knew had apparently started drinking. Um, or maybe not. He said he wasn't drinking. He was just super, super slurring and not comprehending anything I was saying and not turning his radio down. But contrary to all that evidence, he says he wasn't day drinking. Um, so I wanted to just kind of run through the mechanism to make sure, okay, dump out, drop the call, good to go. So thank you, Dennis. You've served a valuable uh, role in the development of the show today. Appreciate that. Um, all right. So the CIA disinformation operation, piece by Peter Van Buren at strategicculture.org. He's talking about the various ways the CIA has over the years worked to influence foreign elections, basically since the end of World War II. Um this is not some wild conspiracy theory. This is known. There are people in this or formerly of the CIA that have talked about how you go about doing it. And, you know, one is to just, you know, pay people for articles to be written. Uh, another route is to uh, own the outlet itself, create some, you know, media entity. Or you can run an operation that is complex, but it. Um, it has the benefit of utilizing the credibility of the media, the existing media outlet and the reporters, while also leading them to believe that they are uh, independently verifying and doing good journalistic work in doing so. How you do it is you get two different agents to plant the same story. One will tell the story, give enough breadcrumbs or enough indication like this other person might be aware of it. Then the reporter calls the other person, the other person like, oh, man, how'd you find out about this? You don't want to play coy at first, but then confirm. Now the reporter has two independent sources confirming the same story, which, of course, was the whole point. It's a bunk story. Other techniques include exclusive true information mixed with disinformation to establish credibility, using official sources like embassy spokesmen to appear to inadvertently confirm sub-details and covert funding of research and side gigs to promote academics and experts who discredit counter-narratives. The academics may never even know where their money is coming from. That then adds to their credibility. So there are all sorts of ways here. From the end of World War II to the Church Committee in 1976, this was all just a conspiracy theory. Of course, the U.S. would not use the CIA to influence elections, especially in fellow democracies. Except they did. By its nature, reporting on intel always requires somebody to work with limited information. Always give time a chance to explain. Through Operation Mockingbird, the CIA ran over 400 American journalists as direct assets, he says. Almost none have ever discussed their work publicly. CIA documents show journalists were engaged to perform tasks for the CIA with the consent of management of America's leading news organizations. The New York Times alone willingly provided cover for about 10 CIA officers over decades and kept quiet about it. Such long-term relationships are a powerful tool, so feeding a true big story to a young reporter to get him promoted is part of the game. 
Don't forget, the anonymous source who drove the Watergate story was an FBI official who, through his actions, made the careers of young cub reporters Woodward and Bernstein. Bernstein went on to champion the Russiagate story. Woodward became a Washington hagiographer. Ken Delanian, that was him, the guy I was talking about, formerly with the L.A. Times, the Associated Press, and now working for NBC, maintains a, quote, collaborative relationship with the CIA. That's the tradecraft and the history. The problem for America is, once again, the tools of war abroad have now come home. The intelligence community is currently operating against the American people using established media. John Brennan, the former CIA director, who for years promoted the Russiagate hoax, he knew from information gathered while he was still in office, he knew it was all a lie. Yet he still promoted it. If you don't think this is what occurred, I would submit you might be a little naive. This is what occurred. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Sorry, if you just caught a little bit of... uh, audio right there in that uh, commercial break it was because the live feed picked up from the Rittenhouse trial it's about oh 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 that's sorry that was a little jarring I apologize let me see if I can officer well well actually I think of uh, reckless endangerment or something but um um Okay, that's the judge. He's weighing some sort of a decision about something. It doesn't appear the jury is back. He's not talking to the jury. Usually you could tell because the judge will look off to his left where the jury is seated. Uh, But right now he's discussing something with the attorney. So I guess the jury may have asked for more information or some other clarification or look at some evidence or something. And so he's discussing that with them. Uh, I'm discussing the Steele dossier and whether or not this was uh, a disinformation operation that was run. And now that I kind of have walked through some of the different ways that you see these ops go down in other countries, the question is, like, does the Steele dossier fit any of those? And in my mind, yes, they do. Uh, it, it does. Um, guy's name, I keep forgetting his name, Peter Van Buren. And he's writing this piece at strategicculture.org. And uh, he says uh, Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report shows the FBI unleashed a full spectrum spying campaign based on the root of the information op, the Steele dossier. Horowitz's report shows it was a team effort among the five eyes. You know what the five eyes are, right? These are the uh, the nations that make up the, the Intel uh, alliance, uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the U.K., and the United States, five eyes. Yet Australian diplomat Alexander Downer, a man with ties to his nation's intel services, he arranged a meeting with the Trump staffer George Papadopoulos to set in motion the FBI FISA surveillance. Trump officials are also monitored by the British uh, GCHQ. The op used CIA assets, the shadowy academics Mark Halper and Joseph Mifsud, they used them as dangles. We see a honey trap run in a classic style with a female FBI undercover agent inserted into social situations with a Trump staffer. 
Dossier author and ex-British Intel officer Christopher Steele creates a textbook officer's information loop, secretly becoming his own corroborating source. It was all based on nothing but disinformation, and the American press swallowed every bit of it, turning the op into a three-year tantrum, falsely convincing a vast number of citizens that their nation was run by a Russian asset. Robert Mueller, whose investigation was supposed to propel all this information into impeachment hearings, ended up exercising one of the last bits of political courage Americans will ever see in walking right to the edge of essentially a coup and refusing to step off into the abyss. The CIA is a learning institution, though. It's recovered well from Russiagate. Details can be investigated. That's where the old story fell apart, because the dossier wasn't true. But the aha discovery was, since you'll never formally prosecute anybody, why bother with evidence? Just throw out accusations and then let the media fill it all in for you. So the new paradigm includes let uh, the nature of the source, the brave lads of the intel agencies. Let them legitimize the accusations this time. Not facts. In other words, go overt and use the new unexpected prestige of the CIA as progressive heroes to substantiate things. This has been one of the most remarkable swings I've seen, where all of a sudden you've got the progressives, the the leftists, they're now using the CIA to prove their uh, rumors, right? They cite them as the you know appeal to authority, which is just such a weak debate tactic, right? This is how you get Donald Trump had advanced access to the WikiLeaks archive. This is how you get the Russians were uh, meddling to get Trump elected. Or the Russians secretly offered bounties to the Taliban-linked militants to kill American troops. Or anonymous sources claiming the FBI gave a defensive briefing to Rudy Giuliani in 2019 before he went to Ukraine. That's what, the, that's what these examples are all in a lineage of. Journalism is today devoted to eliminating practitioners unwilling to play the game. Few have been targeted more than Glenn Greenwald, who seems to have figured out the intel community's game. He said, quote, the most significant Trump-era alliance is between corporate outlets and security state agencies whose evidence-free claims they unquestioningly disseminate. Every journalist, even the most honest and careful, they're going to get things wrong sometimes. Trustworthy journalists issue prompt corrections when they do so. That behavior should build trust building. But when media outlets continue to use the same reckless and deceitful tactics, that strongly suggests a complete indifference to the truth and even more so a willingness to serve as the disinformation agents. This is a real problem, in my estimation. It's a huge problem. It's a lack of trust, not just in the intelligence communities, which I would submit is always healthy to have a skepticism of them. But it's institutions like media, institutions, you know, on the right, people used to believe the FBI. The people on the right don't believe the FBI. By the way, they don't. This is why I had a recent conversation with a journalist who asked me, was asking me about something. uh, It doesn't matter. But he he mentioned as a uh, he cited as credentials Pulitzer Prize winning journalists. And I said to him, people don't care about that on the right. People don't care about Pulitzer Prize winning uh, credentials. Why should they? They you got outlets that have won Pulitzer Prizes for lies. Why would people on the right care about those credentials? It's like the Nobel Peace Prize. 
I don't care about the Nobel Peace Prize any longer. I don't do segments on the Nobel Prizes anymore. Why would I? They've ruined their reputation. And they did so by giving the prize to Barack Obama before he did anything. And then he went about drone striking people. So, no, I don't have any, I don't give them any credibility or anything like that. Why should I? Why should anybody? Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hello, Jimmy, what's up? Hey, Pete. Um, so, I got two questions for you. All right. Since I've been, I've been listening. All right. All right. What happens if Trump wins, if he wins, if it runs and wins again? Yeah. And secondly, with all the stuff that has happened, with the Intel, all the Intel stuff and all that, all right, who killed Kennedy? Uh, so, first off, I don't know. And secondly, uh, I believe the evidence is uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Are you sure? Well, <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I'm not sure. I mean, here's the thing. I can only be as sure as I can be, right? I can say that the evidence that I've seen about it, and it's been years since I went down that rabbit hole. No, I do not believe that there were other people that that, that shot him and all this other stuff. I I believe the lone gunman theory. I do. I I think the evidence supports that. Um, But that's at some point. Now, if if there's a whole bunch of evidence and people who care about it more than I do, if they uh, bring forth evidence, I'm, you know, let's see it. But, no, I'm not going to trust Oliver Stone's movie to make that case for me. So, yeah, on, on JFK. Now, the other thing, though, is the uh, is what is Trump? Uh, what about Trump if he wins again? I have no idea. And if I did, if I was able to predict that kind of thing, I would not be on the radio because I would have already picked my winning lottery numbers and I would be on an island that I bought running off of, you know, power generators and my own farmed food and... and building an army to take over the world news is next